Hey, Sound Opinions listeners, if you support us on Patreon, you get to listen to our podcast ad-free on Patreon. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we're talking with Margot Price about her book, Maybe We'll Make It. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. But first, we review some new music from Robin Hitchcock and Plains. I sit out the window, I sit out the law, I'm gonna see what the shuffle man saw. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. Stacks are lit by gaslight, stars are lit by jazz. I wanna have what the shuffle man has. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. That is a little bit of a song called The Shuffle Man by Robin Hitchcock from his new album, Shuffle mania. Starting out as a folky in Cambridge, England, Mr. Hitchcock uh, went on to front the very influential psychedelic pop band, The Soft Boys. This at the height of the punk explosion in England. You know, everybody was tearing everything down, and uh, Hitchcock was singing with The Soft Boys, I want to destroy you, making fun (laughs) of that attitude. After The Soft Boys, he started a long and fruitful solo career. He is now up to, depending on how you count, 22 solo albums. Uh, Hitchcock is living these days in Nashville with a partner, Emma Swift, who is collaborating on this album with him. You know, he apparently unusual in his long career, he's now 69, went into a period of uh, not writing any songs, Mm -hmm. wondered if there was much point anymore uh, during the pandemic. Then he bounced back with a very productive songwriting spree. He tapped Greg long distance, uh, some of his many fans and uh, collaborators, including Johnny Marr of the Smiths is on guitar, Sean Lennon. Uh, oh. Obviously, Hitchcock, always a huge fan of uh, Sean's dad, Wilco's Pat Sansone, and others. So let's play a track from Shuffle Mania. We'll come back and give our opinions of this record. This is called The Man Who Loves the Rain on Sound Opinions. In watery handwriting scattered in drops on my window hey, He wrote, I am the weather vane I'm a man who loves the rain is the man who loves the rain from the new Robin Hitchcock record, Shuffle Mania. You know, you mentioned the guests on this record. He also uh, reunited with Soft Boys alums. Yeah. Kimberly Rue and uh, Morris Windsor. Yeah, there was an actual Soft Boys reunion a couple yeah, of years which back. which is really cool. You know, I, I almost feel like in some ways this is a summing up record for, for Hitchcock. His 2017 record, self-titled, was a late career, although Robin seems infinite, so I hesitate to call it late career. <laughs> Timeless. But just a fantastic record yeah i think this record is in the same league with that one which means it's one of the best records of hitchcock's career you know he calls it his party record but with with hitchcock 
it's always a little bit tongue-in-cheek as well. A party record in terms of some of the upbeat songs. You know, we played Shuffle Man at the top, and that is a, an exuberant, high-energy track, and there are several others on this record. Mixed in with, uh, you know, songs that are a little more poignant, atmospheric, like the one we just played, The Man Who Loves the Rain. Yeah. Uh, an absolutely beautiful song. It says, respect the dead, you'll be joining them soon. Yeah. Respect the dead, you will be joining them soon. I think this record is coming from a place of, you know, with pandemic in, in the foreground, you know, there's a lot of randomness to life. You can't predict it. You never know what's coming around the corner. Yeah. You never know what's going to be lurking in the well, background. Well, and you mentioned the Soft Boys reunion. Matthew Seligman, the bass player from the Soft Boys, had died during the right. pandemic. And, and I think that hit Robin. Absolutely. The whole idea that anything could happen at any time, and if you start turning into you know like a nervous person based on that and the anxiety can kill you why not just embrace the fact that it is going to be totally random and willy-nilly you just live every moment right to the best of your capability so I'm, I'm hearing that message in this record and I think it's a really profound lesson that we all learned you know and Robin is our is giving voice to it 10 songs in 40 minutes He's a brilliant pop songwriter, and um, I think that continues. No, he absolutely is a brilliant pop songwriter. I've said it many times. There are, on any of those 22 or so solo albums, uh, a minimum of three or four uh, classic masterpiece kind of pop songs, right? And on a great record, the whole darn thing, right? I think if you have slept on Hitchcock... Uh, you know, you are missing just some of the best pop songwriting of the last century. And, you know, I, I have a theory about this album, Greg. If you go back to Feg Mania, which was him and the Egyptians when they were signed to A&M, right? That right. weird period, post-indie rock at the burgeoning of alternative, maybe we can make money with this guy, he's got major label support. And that was one of the uh, great celebratory party albums of Hitchcock's career. I don't think it's a coincidence, Shuffle Mania, Feg Mania, mm -hmm. these songs, many of them are in that vein, right? Shuffle Man opens the album, just like Balloon Man from mm -hmm. those days by Hitchcock, okay? And so he's having fun. You know, it's been a long end of the world, and uh, <laughs> it's opening up again. Robin's celebrating. Uh, he's 69, about to turn 70. Uh, he's still with us. He's still brilliant, and uh, he's having fun along with those... You know, I I can't even say it. Noirer than noir. <laughs> you know, I think that's a sequel in some ways to one of his greatest songs, Raymond Chandler Evening. You've got to be noir than noir. You are. You know, and and the man who loves the rain is just a beautiful pop song without the dolly in it, without mm -hmm. much surrealism. Uh, the man's a genius. I'm glad we still have him. Absolutely. Five decades into his career and still making great records. You know, and they need, to come, say that? they need to come on Sound Opinions like three, <laughs> four, five times over the years. Main Street was cute and the rents there was cheap, but I was too much for you and for your Abilene. We don't need to talk about 
That is a little bit of the track Aveline from the debut album by a group called Plains. I Walked With You A Ways is the name of the album. And who is Plains? Well, that is a, uh, a duo. Uh, Waxahachie's Katie Crutchfield uh, is one half of it, and the other half is Jess Williamson. Uh, two singer-songwriters in the country folk indie rock uh, vein. One, uh, Waxahachie, Katie Crutchfield from Alabama, Jess Williamson, a a Texas native. They have been friends for uh, five years and uh, decided to make a record together. You know, it's an interesting timing on this because both are coming off of what a lot of people are considering their finest solo records yet. Uh, Waxahachie's uh, St. Cloud and Williams's Sorceress came out in the last couple of years, and everyone's think their careers are ascendant. And uh, you know, instead of making the follow-up uh, solo records, they decided we want to collaborate. So here is the product of that collaboration. Here's a track from the new album, Summer Sun from Plains on Sound Opinions. That was Summer Sun, the opening track on I Walked With You A Ways by the duo Plains. Um, Greg, I'm seeing uh, this collaboration of Katie Crutchfield and Jess Williamson uh, compared to uh, Kurt Vile and Courtney Barnett. I'm seeing it compared to the High Women. Um, and there are moments of, of yes, inspiration here uh, where the two are clearly uh, uh, taking each other in places they might not have gone as solo artists, as, as talented as they both are. Um, you know, a lot of talk about speeding down the highway with the windows open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the four-lane highway, they love their highway. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I guess as the world is opening again after the pandemic, everybody's uh, eager to hit the road. You, no fan of road trips have been traveling all over the place of late. Um, I think it would have been a good EP. I don't know if the inspiration is sustained over the course of this album. I like their voices together. Uh, You know, it it is at times a little slavishly trad old country, you know, and at other times they're having fun and kind of channeling uh, Dolly Parton or, or Tanya Tucker, you know, kind of kind of country pop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't love the whole album. Am I wrong? What am I missing? Well, let's let's not forget that um, both of these women are coming from country backgrounds that they really haven't explored in their individual records. No, at, at times point. Waxahachie's been punk almost. Yeah, I mean Williamson coming from Texas, steeped in you know country music was around all the time. It was in her house. She grew up with it. Ditto for Katie Crutchfield, Waxahachie. Uh, Alabama upbringing, a lot of country music mm-hmm. in that background. You know, you're harmonizing around the kitchen sink with with your 
you know, your family, your yeah. friends, or right? back porch or campfire. So yeah, they're they're steeped in that music, and I think they wanted to honor that part of their uh, their past, even though they come from ones from the southeast, ones from the southwest. Uh, they had that mutual thing in common, and they wanted to sort of honor that. So, okay, they, they're, the signifiers are there, but I think they do it more, uh, much more realistically, much more um, uh, sincerely than a lot of uh, assembly line Nashville country pop. Uh, you know, the, 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 soft, the brushes on the drums, the mandolins, the banjos, the steel guitar, uh, a lot of, you know, not a lot, but certainly some waltz tempos. Uh, the lyrics are very plain spoken. Uh, it's over in 30 minutes. I mean, it's a very uh, concise record of just mutual love, you know, of something that meant a lot to them growing up, right? That's the way I hear it. I don't think they're trying to make some big statement here other than they just love making music together. No, I, I think it's a placeholder record. You talked about both of them uh, being, uh, you know, career ascendant. I think uh, rather than the pressure of the, you know, much anticipated follow-up, what are you doing next? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, during the downtime of, of the last two years, you know, they had this project to kind of offset that. You know, touring is still very difficult for many musicians. So it, it, it was kind of something to do but i'd have been fine with an ep i I really like their cover of of bella uh fatima Uh face red like carinina she was strong as that old gypsum weed though she could dance like a blind beggar's head just waiting for some Williamson's voice on that is just absolutely gorgeous. I love the song Abilene that we bumped in with. I'm feeling love, though, for Abilene. We just got added to public radio in Abilene, Texas. But, but, you know, think about this. I mean, a lot of this album is about relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, coming and go. Relationships come and go is basically what I'm hearing in a lot of the lyrics. You know, uh, it's time to move on. Yeah, but move the on one uh, thing, on the four-lane highway. The one thing that's always going to stick around is the music, you know? Come along with us, we'll be here for you the whole time. That's, mm. the, that's the lyric from Summer Sun that opens. It's kind of like opening its arms to you and saying, here we are, here's what we're going to do. This music is going to be with us our entire lives. We're going to go through all these relationships, but this music's always going to be there for us. I think that's a nice message. It's not a bad record. It just didn't get me super excited. But that's our thoughts. We want to hear from you. Leave us a message on our voicemail at soundopinions.org or chime in on uh, our Patreon or uh, Facebook groups. Coming up, our conversation with Margot Price on Sound Opinions. And we are back. It's been four years since Margot Price was first on Sound Opinions, episode 655, if you go to the archives. Uh, back then, she'd released her second album for Third Man Records, All American Made. She has now released That's How Rumors Get Started in 2020. And a new album called Strays is coming early in 2023. But today, we have Margot back on the show to talk about her role as an author. Uh, a fascinating memoir called Maybe We'll Make It. Margo, welcome to Sound Opinions. Hey, how's it going? Margo, I got to ask you, this book takes you from your childhood, grown up on a farm that goes bankrupt when you're a kid, to Saturday Night Live as Midwest Farmer's Daughter, your first big breakthrough. nationally acclaimed record, top 10 record. 
And in between, there's sort of a Kerouacian journey <laughs> through your life. That's a good word, Kerouacian. <laughs> I, um, I am just blown away by all the struggles and the resilience that you had to show to keep uh, the idea that you were going to make music, you were going to make this music thing work. Because I've interviewed hundreds, thousands, probably thousands of bands at this point. And it's like, at a certain point, you just give up because it's just too damn hard. And you had plenty of reasons not to have it work out. In looking back at this book, the struggles you, 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 you document so well here, what do you attribute to that resilience? Because I don't think it's that commonplace, uh, especially in a brutal industry like the music industry is. Well, uh, either insanity or just plain stubbornness. <laughs> um, you know, I... I often wonder, had Third Man not kind of plucked me out of uh, my misery, if I would still be doing this. And I really think probably, yes, I think I would probably just at least be playing and, and writing songs for myself because um, I just don't do anything else quite as well. But um, <laughs> it was a wild ride, and I actually am I'm just really grateful that that I did it my way. And even now I, I cannot get too in my head about success and like, you know, these putting these certain things that are, that are not real things um, in there. Because for me, it, I just have to keep focusing on the art because if you get lost in like the accolades, you're immediately like poisoning the, the art itself. Yeah, I was thinking as I was reading it, Margot, the frankness, the honesty, the humor, you were not hiding anything. And, you know, when I teach, sometimes students uh, come to me and say, you know, how do, I, how do I make it? And I always say, and it's easy for me or Greg to say this, you got to want it as much as you like breathing or eating. And if you don't, go into something else. And that comes through so vividly. So, you know, you drop out of college and decide to move to Nashville. A lot has happened in the story before that. A lot happens after. We'll dig into some of it. But if that uh, young woman or man came to you at that age that you were and said to you today, is it worth my time? Should I try this? What would you say to them? I mean, besides having written a whole book. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a cliff notes. Uh, I would yeah. say absolutely follow your passion and you really can't go wrong. I mean, like you said, you do have to love it as much as breathing or, or eating. I'm really struggling right now to like find time in my life to get everything done with like the book and the music and all of that coming together. There's like a list of friends that I'm like, Oh, I need to write. I didn't write her back. I haven't seen this friend in like mm. seven or eight months. You know, I go back to that, like uh, I'm paraphrasing Towns Van Zant here, but it's just like you have to sacrifice everything. You're going to sacrifice your friendships. You're going to sacrifice family and stability and all of those things. But to me, it's worth it. Actually, yesterday, I just canceled my, my therapy appointment and my dentist appointment because I got the opportunity to go meet with uh, T-Bone Burnett. <laughs> and like, it's a good yeah, excuse. and it was really... It was really good. Um, but, you know, it's it's really hard sometimes to, like, just take care of myself mentally and, and physically. And I think that's why musicians' lifespans don't quite uh, seem to last as long as others, because you're just, like, 
there's some days where I find myself in a food desert and I'm like eating at a sheets. I'm like, this is, this sucks. <laughs> but I get to go play like yeah. a, you know, like farm aid with, with Willie and, and the crew. So there's a great moment in, in the book where you talk about your great uncle giving you some tough love. He was a songwriter <laughs> and won some awards and he had gold records on the wall and you, you played him some songs with kind of the hope that he was going to give you the, his blessing and say, kid, you've got what it takes, you know, keep sticking with it. And he basically told you the exact opposite of that. Yeah, not even, he couldn't even spare, like, I like that one metaphor. Right. Nothing you write. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. So what, what, what made you keep going after that? Uh, well, you know, like I said, I, I feel like whenever anybody tells me no or, like, gets me angry, it just, like, fuels the fire. I don't know if it's because I'm an Aries or, or what it is, but... Uh, him and I are are still uh, very close. It's it feels it feels full circle that I've um, you know finally garnered his respect because he's calling me and he's like I got I got a song idea you want to write this one with me and he comes over to the house and actually I've got sitting behind me is this guitar that I've had all, all oh, my yeah. hero signs got you know Willie Dolly Loretta Emmy Lou and I got my uncle's signature on there too but. Yeah, like I said, when somebody when somebody tells me that I can't do something, then I just have to prove them wrong. Well, it was almost like he he gave you a test because he told you sell your TV, sell your computer, get rid of all distractions, and write, write, write. And then it was because it's true if you don't have that that kind of drive, you're not going to make it. Yeah, I mean, it hurt. It definitely hurt to hear. I'm I'm a very sensitive, a highly sensitive person. I left there. I got in my car and I just started crying. Um, mm. But it was the best advice anyone could really give me. And I think, you know, today we're people are dealing with so many distractions. I say that too. It's like, if you're going into the studio, get your phone out of the control booth. Get off your phone. Be, mm -hmm. be in the moment, you know? That's what everybody, I think, is is struggling to find that focus today, whatever your passion is, whether it's music or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, we get we get lost in those other things. I'm always pulling myself back in. I was laughing. I was telling my wife this morning about reading the book, and she uh, and I said, you know what? What was great about this book? There wasn't one mention of social media in 250 pages. Until <laughs> I talk about... No, no, goes, you're, you're really? wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. The Saturday Night Live crew made Margot go on Instagram and Twitter, and it was but it this, was like on page 250. It's, it's 250 at the very end of the book. It's true. Yeah. And, well, and, and you discovered people suck. Yeah. You know, people are talking about your nose. People are talking about, you know, who is this woman? Yeah. Yeah. And it's still going on. Still going on when I get in there. I'm like, I don't yeah. look too closely at the comments sometimes or uh, check my DMs because it's just like landmines in there. You don't know what you're going to find. Um, but also mm -hmm. I talk about when we went out to Colorado and we were trying to get gigs out there. That was when everything was happening. They're like, well, what's your, do you have a Facebook page? Do you, uh, you know, do you, what's your online presence? And we were like, oh, we don't, we don't have Facebook. We were like the, some of the last people to get on it. And I remember when I had my mm -hmm. first meeting, one of my first meetings with Jack and uh, his management team who ends up, you know, managing me Definitely. now with Monotone. And they started talking about social media. And I remember Jack had been quiet the whole meeting. And all of a sudden he leans in and he's like, now when you say uh, 
Instagram and Twitter. Are you talking about a toothpaste brand or what? He's like, I'm not sure what's going on, you know? And he's since relented and he has an Instagram account, but I really loved how skeptical he was of all that. And he's, yeah. Mm -hmm. I can just see that. Having made the trek down to Third Man in Nashville, Jack in his office with those cigarellos saying, you know, what's Instagram? Is that toothpaste? Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah. The volume, you know, and, and the songwriting lesson really took hold because, you know, what struck me is how much you're, you're talking about music and writing songs all along, like from, from that day forward. And very little of that got out into the world. You recorded some of it. Those records never really, they were basically, you were selling them out of your trunk, right? I mean, it wasn't like, a, like you were putting these things out into the world. There was nobody distributing them for you other than you. Um, so there was a lot of songs you wrote along the way. I would love for the Margot Price box set to come out one day where we get some of the best of those leftover tracks. I mean, but the point being that once you got to, you know, Midwest Farmer's Daughter, you had like 10 really great songs on that record. I can't count all the time. You were ready to come to bat when the moment struck. Um, but do you feel like you had to go through that process of, of writing songs over, you know, countless songs, many of which never really got an airing other than when you would perform them in your shows, uh, in order to, to finally get to the point where you could put out a record that the world would embrace? I mean, it was a top 10 country record, you know? Um, not an easy thing to do on your debut record, right? Did you need to spend a quarter century becoming an overnight <laughs> success? I think that's the question yeah, you're right. asking. <laughs> a long time yeah, to get to that definitely. point where you're... Yeah. I, I definitely needed all that time. I mean, there are very few people who are... The first songs that they're writing are going to be genius. And, you know, John Prine was among one of those people. It's like... Well, mm. The first songs that he was writing was Donald and Lydia and Sam Stone and all the, you know, that's, that is really rare. That's a genius level uh, songwriting right there. But yeah, but don't, don't forget he was singing those songs to himself for years and years and years while delivering mail. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, yeah. there's definitely was stuff that, that I was doing with Buffalo Clover or just my solo stuff that was good. And it, you know, it was better than a lot of the crap that we were hearing on the radio. So that kept Mm -hmm. me going too, because I was like, well, you know, when this is what I'm hearing on the radio, of course, my songs aren't going to be popular, you know, in that way. But we have been for years, we've been working on this compilation of like unreleased Buffalo Clover stuff, all these, um, you know, all these old recordings we have. And I have definitely been thinking about doing some kind of soundtrack, like along to the book with some of those songs Mm. that I really loved from, from those times. But also I was finding my voice. I never was working with a producer. So it's like when I go back and I'm listening to my singing, I'm like, Oh, I haven't even found my voice yet. You know, I was singing in my lower register. And so some of it's kind of, it is a little hard for me to hear, but I, I think a lot of the writing actually still holds up, you know, 
Um, mm-hmm. But some of it doesn't. Some of it's cringy. <laughs> so I'm lucky that it took me that long. Well, so I'm not singing songs that I hate at 39. Right. And the other thing that's that's interesting to me is like obviously. Um, you know, Midwest Farmer's Daughter came across as a country record. You know, people sort of perceived it as country, charted on the country charts. And then I remember seeing you live, and I go, you know, she's not a country artist at all. I mean, she's country, but she's doing all these other things, which explains to me, like, the Buffalo Clover uh, section of the book, where you're you're really doing everything. There was, there was no music that you were kind of not at least somewhat conversant with it seemed to me like you had this wide body of experience and stuff that you really loved and you chose to focus on the country stuff for that one record but i'm curious about that experience how that informed you as a songwriter you know having this wide body of stuff that you would write in that particular vernacular and then you would jump to something else and do something else how did that inform you as a songwriter in developing over the years I think especially when people do come see us live, it's more than just a country show. You know, we've been studying psychedelia and soul music. I went down to the county jail and turned myself down. Spending all my weekends here, far from my good time and friends. Baby, things went bad and things went worse. For a while, we were just listening to the Rolling Stones and, and just, just trying to write rock and roll, which I think like could use more of a resurrection than country music. <laughs> like, where, where is that scene and where, where is that now? You know? Well, you write so movingly about Joni Mitchell. Oh, I mean, you'd yeah. be a heck of a music critic, Margo. Man, yeah, I, and I am. I, <laughs> I tell you what, mm-hmm. in the privacy of my own home and the things that I don't put on Twitter, I, <laughs> I've really had to learn to like, <laughs> watch my mouth and not try to like, you know, put down people who are really just trying to express their soul. But it's, I think I get so fired up about about music and and about just visual art also because that's what art does it evokes feelings within us um but for sure i know a lot of people would probably just prefer that i just stick to making like uh traditional country records and like you know that old school country funk stuff which i i think really is my bread and butter but i'm just too i, I don't know i'm just too interested in doing other things um to stick with just one genre. And I think it really makes you well-rounded if you're, you know, there's so much music out there. Like, why would you limit yourself to, to just one thing? You know, I want to get your take, too, on Loretta Lynn. I know that you knew Loretta. Uh, you know, she obviously just passed um, at age 90 in her sleep. Um, you know, it, it just seemed like a beautiful way to end a beautiful life in a lot of ways, you know. Um, but the parallels between your career and hers... Um, you know, she wasn't making records until she was 30. She'd already had like four kids by that point. You are a mother. Uh, and you, you're, you're like Loretta in some ways, a late bloomer in terms of the public knowing about you. Did you talk to Loretta at all about her, her career path? Uh, did, did, that, did that inform any of, any of the way you approached things? 100%. When I, when I finally got the opportunity to sit down with her, we were backstage at uh, Blackberry Farms in Tennessee, and 
Oh, it was just such a moving conversation. I, her daughter, Patsy, brought me back there and she was saying, oh, Loretta, you and Margo, you have so much in common, you know, and I was kind of talking about some of the stuff you said. And she said, and you're both, uh, your birthdays are just one day apart. Loretta's April 14th. I'm April 15th. She's like, you're both colorblind and, you know, you're both real, <laughs> you're both real fiery and uh, you've both also, you know, lost a, lost a child and, Loretta turned to Patsy and she said, now shut up, Patsy. Who the hell would want to talk about something like that right now? And she got off. <laughs> and it was, it was, you know, just a way to break the ice in a way. But we sat there and spoke for a long time. And I spoke to, you know, Patsy and Peggy and Loretta all about how it worked, how she could do what she did and have a family. Because even now I'm really still trying to navigate that with my daughter being three, who ended up being named after Loretta. Um, because when I found out that I was pregnant in 2018, I thought, you know, here I am. I'm in my mid thirties. I'm a woman. I just got my career off the ground and now I'm knocked up. And I just kind of saw everything just like that I had worked for and everything just shatter before me. And it just makes me cry. Loretta just, she just said, do not worry about that. Like your fan base is going to accept you and you can have as many, as many babies as you want. And you don't have to, you don't have to mm. be worried about that. And it was a real relief. And so then when I ended up being, as Jack said, I was 10 months pregnant when I was singing at her birth, birthday tribute. <laughs> <laughs> been pregnant for four years. And, uh, yeah. And she just, she just gave me so much confidence and, um, and, uh, just really kind of set my mind at ease when I was, when I was uh, very worried about what all that was going to do to my career. But here in Topeka, the rain is a falling, the faucet is a dripping and the kids are bawling. One of them is toddling and one is a crawling and one's on the way. When we return, we'll have more with Margot Price. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. Million dollar pack. And we're back. We're talking with Margot Price about her book, Maybe We'll Make It. Margot, there's so much in Maybe We'll Make It that is uh, both very, very personal, but also universal when you're writing about the loss of, of your child, uh, when you're writing about your struggles toward... Uh, to, to, to fight off addiction, uh, you know, alcoholism. Um, yet, there's another theme that I think pairs this with another book uh, that we just talked about on Sound Opinions as absolutely necessary. Decades late, we interviewed Marissa Moss, who wrote Her Country, who was talking about the ingrained sexism uh, that Loretta Lynn battled and that artists today are battling. Um, let me come at this from a very particular way. You know, you're from small town, Illinois. We're in Chicago. It's like two separate worlds. <laughs> you know, uh, you come to Chicago and you're talking to one of the most respected uh, indie labels. You know, you don't name them. And they say, mm, we've got two women on our roster. And so it's not just the big Nashville corporate machine that is permeated by sex. Well, you can't have more than two women, mm. Greg, right? You know, and, and it's like, and that's in quote unquote enlightened Chicago. Yeah. That you, you got this. Talk about the sexism in particular that is so brutal uh, to anybody playing rootsy music. 
Well, yeah, this was an indie label. And actually, let's see this. Well, I got turned by, down by label in Chicago, but I also got turned down by this indie label here in Nashville that is still operating. Okay. And, I, and I won't say their name because I have some friends that are on their label and I don't want to uh, trash talk them, but they have since signed a lot more women. And it just was mind blowing to me that, you know, they basically didn't even say if they listened to the record or not. They just said, oh, mm. we've got two girls. And, you know, like you, like I said, it, it was just, it was an indie label. It was like yeah. somebody that you would really think is um, not going to be affected by those small thoughts. But that that crushed me and it, and it angered me. And again, like I said, it was just like, well, I had something to prove at that point. And so mm-hmm. when, when Third Man picked me up, that was a real like, F you to, to all yeah. those people. <laughs> yeah. I rolled out of town on the unpaved road. I was $57 from being broke. Kiss my mama and my sisters. And I said goodbye. And with my suitcase packed, I wiped the tears from my eyes. Like, had I signed to this label that I'm talking about, either either one of them, the one up there in Chicago or this other one, it would not have had the same impact. I know that 100% because Third Man had yet to dip their toes into signing any new country artists, you know, to have their endorsement and to have all that steam behind me. Like, I could never repay Third Man for just how they handled that whole campaign and how they believed in me. And I wish that I would have thought to send it to him sooner because I spent a year in purgatory, as I like to call it, just kind of sitting there like Mm. waiting with, we'd sold the car and it was a year went by like, Mm -hmm. like, wow, (laughs) I was not doing well. (laughs) Well, and you were doing it the old school way. Um, you know, for lack of a better term, you were, you were, you know, as I joked earlier, you know, the social media wasn't really a part of it. I mean, a lot of bands now would have said, okay, let's just put our music out on the internet and let people find it that way. I was fascinated by that, that, that you had sort of done it this way. Cause you, it seemed like that was important to you. Like you could have talked to some people and said, oh, Marco, you should do it this way. And maybe you even got that advice and chose to ignore it. I'm curious about that decision. The route you you, you took is not the route that a, a lot of young artists are taking these days to get their music out into the world. Well, I guess it saves them a lot of uh, grief to just like, you know, now to be able to go on TikTok or on YouTube and just like upload the thing and um, have some kind of instant success. I wouldn't trade my years of like, riding in an Econoline van all over the United States and just meeting people. And a lot of times I was getting suggestions that I should either change, change the music, you know, make it less uh, like rootsy sounding, make it like more modern Mm -hmm. or or whatever. Um, And I didn't take any of that advice. And I also had people telling me all the time, you should go on Nashville star and you should go on, uh, 
you know, The Voice or American Idol or any of these things. And I was like, that's just not my vibe. <laughs> I, like, uh, I think that, you know, I'm not very good at like at bluffing. And if I don't like something, like I'm just not going to do it. And even as my career's taken off, there's been so many times where people have like suggested that I collaborate with, you know, this like Joe Schmo major label bro. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. I just, I can't do it. And, you know, I know I'd have like millions of Spotify plays or, or whatever the goal is, but for me, it's, it's not a blood sport. It's just like about, yeah, making the music mean something to you. Woke up from a movie, I immediately forgot. Got a heartache on the bottom and a headache on the top. The part of me that hurts the worst is the one. I just can't spot And it's all American made your, your, your one concession to convention was hiring uh, John Serrata as your booking agent. Yeah, if you can't beat him, <laughs> join him. <laughs> you got to tell that story because that is just such an insight into the way the industry would work for decades. Have you ever read that book, The Art of War? <laughs> it's like you know you got to look at what chess pieces you have on the board and like how you can manipulate the game um because i was trying to find like people to manage us and you know we had some friends that had some good managers and took a couple meetings with people but nobody was really interested in representing us and i knew that you know being a woman, sending the emails out. So, hey, can my band play your club? I've got 200 MySpace followers and, you know, not a lot going <laughs> for me. But the second that you introduce someone else as your um, your manager, your representation, it legitimizes you. So that's what we did. We just created a whole alter ego. And this guy, he would book the shows. He would do the advancing and everything. And then, like I said, if we showed up and something was wrong, you know, we started getting yelled at by the, uh, the, the booking agent or the, the booker about the ticket sales not being good or about, you know, posters not being there on time or something. Oh, that was John Sirota. He's, he's such a mess. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a good hustle. We booked a ton of gigs that way. We really, really did. And I actually suggest that to anybody else out there that can't, uh, can't get anything going for you. Just, Use anything you can. You have to be resourceful when you're poor and you have no connections. Like some of the great books about the working class, uh, you know, Studs Terkel, going back to one of the best, you know, working. Um, you know, the, the stories you tell about the jobs you oh, had God. to have. <laughs> I'm thinking in particular about your time waitressing at a bar restaurant where you were required to wear a Catholic schoolgirl uniform. <laughs> And put up with the gentleman, I use that, that that's a misnomer completely, uh, saying stuff, grabbing places. I was like, oh my God. It, were you thinking during horrible ordeals, uh, there's so many of them d described throughout the book, like that, were you thinking like a writer? Well, at least I'm getting material. Or were you just thinking, I got 
six more hours to get through this shift. Oh, man. I was thinking about the cash and, again, about, like, using what I had, which was great legs, to uh, to get tips. <laughs> <laughs> practical. You were yeah. thinking practical. I mean, you know, it was like, that place was hard. It actually just closed not too long ago. But I would get so fed up with it, and I would quit, and then... Brandy, my boss, she would always invite me back and she'd be like, you're such a good waitress. You're such a hard worker. And, you know, I know that you're you're unreliable at times. But when I did show up, you know, it was it, it was on. And I actually sometimes I really miss like bartending and waitressing because you like you get to talk to so many people and, you know, it's like you get to meet so many interesting people. I was just messaging with Carrie Ann Hurst, who I mentioned in my book from shovels and rope. And she's like, do you still have waitressing dreams? Because I do sometimes I'm like, I actually do. (laughs) (laughs) Your book ends on a hopeful note. You know, you, you've made the record for, for for third man, the first one you're on Saturday night live. You're joking about it because you're staying in this hovel of a hotel a few weeks afterward, but you're still going, we played Saturday Night Live. Once again, Margot Price. Since you put me down, I've been drinking just to drown. It's a relatively optimistic ending. What obstacles or what what has occurred since the book ends in your career, in your life, where you say, okay, things things have turned around. It's better than it was. Or how have things been? Things have been uh, all over the place, but more good than bad. Um, you know, like I, uh, like I said, I took a another really big mushroom trip. I gave up the booze, not sober, but I'm uh, just feeling better than I have in years. I'm really looking forward to releasing this album that I did with Jonathan Wilson um, in January of 23. And yeah, of course I'm going to write another book. I, um, you know, I ended off (laughs) like kind of, uh, with the SNL and, and that little moment there. But I have just been like really collecting stories from the road from, I mean, I've hung out with just about everybody that I ever could have imagined wanting to meet aside from like Tom Petty and, uh, and, and, you know, I haven't got to sit down and have a conversation with Bob Dylan, except in my dreams. Um, (laughs) but it's just been absolutely wild. And I, you know, I, this last book, it, it doesn't have a lot of like name drops and, and and not that I would, you know, write it for that. But like the stories that I have got to have uh, partying in some really <laughs> cool hotel rooms and uh, just conversations that I've got to have with my heroes and mentors. Like I would love to write a book that's kind of like a collection of just uh, like short stories and and interactions from the road and um you know a lot of it could be lucid too but 
but yeah, I definitely plan on writing another book. Like I didn't have a ghostwriter, well, well, so I'm I'm addicted now. The book is extremely well written, and um, I, I was just curious. Did you always have aspirations to to write a book? I mean, I wasn't aware that the memoir, you know, was in your bones when the last time I talked to you. But now it now here it is, and it's great. Um, when when did this idea occur? It, it, has it been bubbling all along? Yeah, I've always been a, a a really avid reader, and I I think that. You know, how you have to be reading lots of things, watching lots of great film and taking in a lot of other kinds of art to um, really to produce good songs. But like I said, I've had several people ask me, like, did you have a ghostwriter for your book? I'm like, no, I worked on this for five years and it just it consumed me and I'd always wanted to do it. I had made several other attempts before to write fiction, to write collections of short stories and poems and then you know, my computer would crash or I would just lose interest or whatever. But um, I'm glad that I, I finally dedicated the time to it and, and got it out because that's what I want more than anything to be taken seriously as a writer, as a songwriter and a writer. And, you know, a lot of times people just mm. introduce me as like country singer and I'm like, no, there's there's more there than just that. So <laughs> thank you for taking time to, to read it. It's, Maybe we'll make it is the name of the book. Uh, I highly, we highly recommend it. Thank yeah. you, Margo, so much for being on the hey, show. Thank you all so much Looking for having Looking forward me. to this new music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got nothing to prove. I got nothing to sell. I'm not what you got. I ain't bringing no bells. I got a myth in my pocket. Got a bullet in my teeth. I'm going straight in the fire. I'm going to talk to the high priest. Used to be a lover. That wraps up our conversation with the great Margot Price, and now we want to hear from you. What music memoir is your favorite? Leave us a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org, or start a conversation in our Patreon community or in the Facebook group. Mr. Cod, what is on the show next week? Next week, Jim, drumroll please. The best albums of 2022 are at least our personal favorites. And don't forget to check out our bonus podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Indeed, we live for that year-end best-of show. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program belong solely to Sound Opinions and not necessarily to Columbia College Chicago or our sponsors. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, and our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo. Our Columbia College intern is Lauren Holt, and our social media consultant is Katie Cott. Is your muffin buttered?